Hello, everybody. Love this is Talk Radio. Radio. on Make Laugh Happen, and today we are going to talk about depression. What a depressing thing to have to talk about. Yes, yes, of course it is, but it is a part of life. Isn't that an odd thing to say? We fight so much with the whole sense of being depressed as if we shouldn't ever feel that way. We strive and fight against depression. We want to be happy. like it's a constitutional right to be happy. In fact, in our Constitution, everybody does have the right to be happy in the United States of America that's what our forefathers thought, at least. Is that true, actually? Well, that's another question for another time perhaps, but depression is something that we usually see as a curse. But I first want to visit depression from the standpoint of it being a natural part of life. Yes, that's right. Did you hear what I just said? Depression is a natural part of life. Feeling sad, fearful, and grief, full of grief at times of loss or change or transition or when things are upset or not going the way you need them to be, feeling depressed about it is a natural part of life. It is natural to have moments where you feel depressed. In fact, it's also natural for the waves of the ocean to ebb and flow, isn't it? It's natural for this moon to wax and wane. It's natural for the seasons to pass from cold to warm. It's natural. Life was never intended to be one unilateral experience. It was meant to be a potpourri of experiences. At least that's my perspective. And you might want to come to terms what your perspective is as well. Because if you were under the impression that you were only supposed to be one texture or one color or one approach to life or one season of life, well, guess again, because that isn't the way life is designed to occur. It isn't the reality of life. And believe you me, I'm very much of an optimist, and I do believe in the power of manifesting and actualizing and creating by intention and the power of being happy. I do believe that happiness is a wonderful and essential goal. I do believe in verve and vigor and enthusiasm, and at the very same time, I'm really conscious that life still has those times that are filled with real-life events that if you're attuned to real-life events, you are going to feel sad, cheerful, full of grief, and depressed. Now, what I have noticed with the generations of really psychotherapists that have followed me is that there's so much of an emphasis on the biochemistry of depression, which is a worthwhile thing to be focusing on in some respects. We're more sophisticated about our body's chemistry than ever before in our modern history. And so if we have the power to be able to have medication that moves us out of an uncomfortable, unpleasant, dark spot, well, who's to say that that's a bad thing to do? And in a moment, I'm going to talk about where it really seems to be essential from my point of view, from many physicians' points of view. But wait a minute. I am finding that people will start taking their medications for anxiety or depression when they're really facing normal life events where you want to actually go through the depressing experience of it because it is a part of being alive and dynamic and human and connected, empathic, and in touch. This is not about living life always as its own happy side of life. It is about living life 
fully and completely connected to the realities of what's going on and then being able to overcome them, surpass them, face them, walk through them, becoming stronger as a consequence in our abilities and in our knowing that we have the ability to endure and overcome. So depression is one of those pitfalls in life. It's the dark shadow valley. It's something where when we lose a loved one, romantic relationship, or have a shift where a loved one is not around, like empty nest syndrome, for example, it is about love that makes you miss the person that was there. It's about knowing how sweet and important and valuable the connection is that when you do not have it, you know the pain and the longing and the missing and the emptiness of what it is that you've lost. It is about the connection and the love that makes you also feel the loss and the loneliness and the depression. But the loss and the loneliness and depression, if you can look at it as an expression of love and an expression of connection and a memory of how wonderful and awesome it was that you had that a part of your life for the season of time that it was meant to be part of your life. Women, let's talk a little bit about empty nest syndrome. If you have done your job well in our society, your children move away from the house and create a life of their own that they're completely and fully immersed in. And they do it not out of rejection for the home front necessarily. They do it more because they're embracing the life that remains ahead of them that they are in the process of creating. So if you've done your job right in our society, it means you will be left by your children. That's your nest. Your bird has learned to fly, and guess what? As a consequence, your personal nest is now lonelier, is emptier, and you're going to have to face that own experience of yourself where your identity shifts, your time shifts, your focus shifts, and the crowdedness of your life now becomes not so crowded. And you're going to have to recreate yourself out of the emptiness of your nest, out of your depression and loneliness and loss. You also are going to have to graduate yourself into the next phase of your life. Now, I use it as an example because emptiness happens very frequently to men and women, but I use it as an example because every part of life has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And when we face the end, it always is preceding the beginning of the next phase of life. When you face the end, there's always experience of loss. There may be a sense of sentimentality, of resignation. There may even be a sense of failure or wonderment about fear of failure or success as you embark on your next journey. But nonetheless, the end always is an embarking on the future. Now, if you can anticipate those ends and know that they will come flavored with with pain, discomfort, loss, shifting, but also anticipate what is it you might create after that ending has taken place. It is being able to look forward to the next phase of life and knowing that you are prepared to create something with that next phase of life that will help you do the transitioning part. And the transitioning part is a very painful part. Now, this is true when women very often say goodbye to their spouse, since most women 
live longer than their spouses. It is true when a spouse is divorced and now it's the end of the marriage. It is true when you transition from being a teenager into adulthood, from going from one job that you might have lost or been fired from or laid off of into an unknown of either a new job or the process of trying to find a job. There is always the end and there is always the beginning of the next phase of life. Now, if you face that the end may come with depression and face also that you're going to have to be a trooper rallying yourself around the very series of known and unknown efforts to create the next phase of your life in the most optimal fashion you possibly can. And that's what you need to maintain a focus on while you also have respect, gentleness, soothing, and kindness towards your loss, towards your pain, towards your depression. So that's depression related to phases of life. Let's talk a moment, move way on the other side of the issue of depression as it relates to your physiological well-being. Because, yes, depression is a biochemical position that takes place that bathes your entire body and has a dynamic impact on your brain functions. So it'll impact your brain functions associated to cognitive reasoning, memory, motivation, clarity of thinking, and your ability to feel invigorated enough to be able to move forward. And if depression has already seized hold of your life, then that means the depression and the chemicals associated have already bathed your brain. So that now you have to be conscious of, boy, if I am living in a brain that's bathed with the depression associated to chemicals in my brain, then how do I change those chemicals? Well, yes. Medications, and there are all sorts of different variations of them. I could go through them with you only as a person of information, but I'm not really expert to seek that out um, because it, you have your neuropsychologist, you have your physiological psych, psych, psychologist, you have your your physiologist, you have pharmacists, you have your psychiatrists, you have your MDs of all different branches that understand this and that can talk to you about it. In fact, many of the MDs, psychiatrists, and um, other their other emphasis in the MD world uh, will very gladly give you medication for you. They'll hand the pill to you. They all have side effects. They all have outcomes that are not really wonderful to live with. They all have a period of time where you transition uh, from not feeling too well to feeling better. Most of them have kind of a valley time where you have to endure the impact of it, the negative impact of it, until you can get to the optimal side of it. Um, some of them have side effects that you go off of them too quickly, so you can't just get off the medication without consulting your, your, your psychiatrist or physician. Um, the medications, though, can actually help your brain make a switch so that they can turn on the dopamine or create a serotonin or they can deal with the various parts of your brain that need a certain amount of bathing. It's either because they're not getting the chemicals that are in your in your system or your system's not producing them or your system has burned out of them. There's so many different possibilities medications address different ways that it comes about. Well, it's always nice to know that that's available. And sometimes what happens is that you go through a period of time where your brain has so been bathed for so long with those depressing feelings, those, depress those depression-related chemicals, 
that chemical coming from the medication can switch that off, change it just enough for you to be able to recover, recoup, heal, change your life, change your circumstances, get back on top of the same, and no longer be creating or perpetuating the situations that have led to you feeling depressed in the first place. So it's nice to know that that's there. But here's another aspect of what does go on for depression is that do you have a physical element that is associated to depression? Oh, again, it's just so tricky. Because our bodies are complex. Because we and our emotions are complex and our our situation and circumstances are complex. It's always hard to say what one one thing is. But you must look at the well-being of your body. For example, you have a thyroid condition such as hyperthyroidism or Hashimoto's disease, then your thyroid's not producing the right amount or combination of the T3 and T4 and the thyroid-related hormones. And there's three that you really need to get tested for. You really need to have a thorough and complete panel to know whether your brain functions, your memory, your motivation, your energy, your fatigue level, your entire body associated with feeling unmotivated and incapable of being happy depresses your mood as well, is associated to your thyroid not producing the right type of hormonal uh, outflow. So guess what? Blood tests are great. Those type of disorders are really easily dealt with because you can now manage them differently with medications that will supplement what your thyroid is producing. You still have to be on top of it. You still have to watch yourself. You still have to be aware. Now, thyroiditis or hyperthyroidism or Hashimoto's disease just really an example because there's so many different disorders that actually can have depression as part of what's going on. Not a physician, I'm not pretending to be a physician, but as a human being, as a psychologist, I need to look for possible concomitants or accompaniments for the mood of being depressed or the inability to function and think and be motivated and feel like you have the energy to be able to make life difference for yourself. And you have to look at the ailments. Any sort of ailment when your body is not at its best is going to depress you a little bit. Whether it's the flu, the common cold, an injury that you have to deal with the pain, or if it's diabetes, and I could go on as a very long list. So guess what? You have to be your own best friend in being able to figure out, is my body in good shape? And if it's not, what do I need to do about it? And yes, guess what? As in all my programs, it always leads to three things that you have control over, that you need to be really masterful over. Oh, you know, you know the lecture. You know it without me even saying it. What are you eating? How much of what are you eating? So food. Food's chemicals, right? Secondly, how are you exercising? What type of exercise? Look again. Exercise is all about changing the chemicals in your body. Thirdly, how are you sleeping? And one of the things that's so frustrating about depression is that you either sleep too much and you lose it on so much of life, or you sleep too little because you have what's kind of that stirring in the middle of the night related to insomnia or disruptive sleep or not sleeping as soundly. In fact, not sleeping so much, at least as much as you want, can lead to all of the complications, one of which is not feeling good enough to live life vigorously, which makes you depressed. So there's the formula of what you need to take care of in terms of your physical body. That's way outside of having to worry about taking medication, isn't it? Once again, 
we are in charge of those aspects of our life and we might as well take a handle on them. And intrigues, you know, there are certain foods that are really, really good as antidepressants, one of which is chocolate, yes. Now, chocolate can be easily eaten without without any sorts of fats in it. You can have it in all sorts of different forms and fashions, and we now know that there's a lot of chemicals in there that really imitate that wonderful, good, I'm in love sort of feeling. So you might as well enjoy it. And there's lots of ways of doing it without wrecking havoc with your figure or with anything else associated with having too many saturated fats. Well, other foods as well, and interesting that calves can also play a part in your brain. It can actually do go both ways. So optimal amount of caffeine, base source of it, okay. Now you have your vegetables and fruits and, of course, your lean and white meats, your grains. Let's talk about grains a little bit. Anything that has a lot of vitamin Bs and anything that has iron, which, is, of course, is your red, I mean, green, 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 green vegetables and, of course, your red meats, those things have a lot to do with your energy level. Energy level has an awful lot to do with depression. Water, hydrating can't get away from the impact that water has on your entire system, including your brain. Without water, you're so dehydrated, you can't function, you can't think clearly. Again, it has an impact on your brain. Okay, I'm going to leave that formula aside for just a moment because what I want to focus on now is what you're going to do if you're in a situation where you know you feel depressed and how can you emotionally get yourself out of it? Okay, you've got the three things related to the chemistry of your body that you are in charge of without having to go to physician. Got that. Exercise, food, sleep. Okay. Now, what happens if you are depressed and you really try to get yourself out of the pattern of depression? Depression has a way of creating a pattern. You are less active, you're less, therefore you're less productive, you're less involved, you're more emotionally and physically isolated from others. You have more time to dwell upon the negative things in your life. You feel worse about yourself because you're not as productive or as engaged. Things are left undone that you need to be doing. Perhaps you're dropping responsibility, so now you feel bad about that. So there's a way in which depression can compound upon compounding upon compounding. Instead of compounding interest, it is compounding depression. So somewhere in that cycle, you need to actually create a change. And sometimes that one change will lead to the next change. And again, now you compound even in the positive direction. There are certain things that seem to be associated to being able to elevate the chemicals in your brain that have also to do with the emotional aspect of life, and one of which is meditation. Meditation can come in all sorts of different forms. In fact, societies all throughout this planet have different sort of religious or spiritual expressions of meditation and all of which have different flavors to them. And in working with different personality types and different styles of brain functions, uh, I have discovered that these meditations are best corresponded with your personality initially. You can master those other types of meditations later. So, for example, I have an extremely active mind, and therefore I do the types of meditations initially when I was learning how to do this that were very mentally, emotionally, and uh, physically active. You can be physically active through different types of very physical or variations of yoga, for example. But even the very active running or exercising, lifting weights, you can do that through the form of meditation. Also meditations that are very common in our Western society that are are, are variations of hybrids of, of the types of things in, in um, India, China, Japan, 
they involve breathing. And the deep, deep breathing associated to that can also elevate the chemicals related to getting yourself over depression. So meditation. Meditations can be creative, imaginative, optimistic, colorful, colorful. Um, they can be focusing on something that's beautiful with music, art, and things of that nature. So we start with meditation as an act of being able to try to cognitively pull yourself out of the darkness of the cognitive information that's in your brain. Well, I just can't believe that 30 minutes has passed already, and here we are at the end of this program. So we will be revisiting depression and how to pull yourself out of it on a further show. But I thank you for joining me today. Would you do me the good favor of texting me, calling me, or writing me? Here we go, 310-543-1824. You can text me or you can call me at that number and leave your comments and your questions so that in the next program I can address them. Or perhaps you'd like to correspond with me in an email and you can do so at drcarolfrancis at gmail.com. That's D-R-C-A-R-O-L-F-R-A-N-C-I-S at gmail.com. I appreciate your interest and I know that you do not have to live in the pits of depression. Let's come out to the light. Let's see if we can all walk it out together and get you moving on forward. Your life is too full of potential, and we need you here to help the rest of us live life more optimally. You take good care of yourself. Talk to you later. This is Dr. Carol Francis with Make Life Happen. Bye-bye.